This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode nine of the On The Banks podcast. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you want to listen to any of our previous podcasts, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes just by searching On The Banks Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher by searching On The Banks Podcast, and you can find us on SoundCloud, just search OTB underscore SB Nation. And of course, you can find all of our episodes at OnTheBanks.com. Also, with Fall Sports here, we at On The Banks have so much coverage of all the teams beginning their seasons, such as football and men's and women's soccer. For coverage of those teams and more, make sure to go to onthebanks.com. We have finally made it to game week here at Rutgers, and this is our first Rutgers football preview episode of the season. Going forward for each week, we will have a guest on talking about the Rutgers opponent. This could be a beat reporter that covers the opposing school or a broadcaster from that opponent. This week, it's Texas State. Next week, Ohio State, Kansas, Buffalo, so on and so forth. This week, I am pleased to be joined by two guests. One, the voice of Texas State football, Brant Freeman, and the second one, the voice of the Scarlet Knights, Chris Carlin. This is a pivotal game one for both teams. For Texas State, a team looking to improve in year three under Everett Withers, they are looking at this game as an opportunity to make a statement that they are a legitimate force in the Sun Belt Conference. In similar fashion, the Scarlet Knights are looking to start off the season with a W as they aim for six wins in bowl eligibility for the first time here in year number three under Chris Ash. To begin with, we will hear from the opponent, and I am pleased to be joined by the voice of Texas State football, Brant Freeman. Brant, thanks for coming on the On the Bags podcast. Definitely looking forward to the conversation and to the game on September 1st there in Piscataway. So, Brant, I want to start with the man running the program at Texas State, right? Head coach Everett Withers, obviously, you know, was a coach at North Carolina, then James Madison, now Texas State. You know, the first two years were not pretty going a combined 4-20, and but, you know, he brought in some good recruiting classes and, of course, rebuilds, you know, they take time. Going into year three, is this the time when fans and people around the program are expecting, you know, a big increase in wins and to really see that, that improvement? Well, I think Coach Withers himself was expecting, you know, some more wins this season. Uh, obviously, this is a results-based business industry, college football, you know. And, uh, but when, he, when, when Coach Withers arrived, there was the understanding between himself and administration that this was not going to be – an overnight quick fix, and it hasn't. It has, you know, that's played out to be true. You know, the first season he took over, the team went you know, two and ten, um, and the following year, you know, last season, 2017, the team was two and ten. The records are the same uh, the last two years, but it was a totally different two and ten season uh, last year than it was uh, the year before. You look back at 2016, and the team was. 20, 30 plays away from being away in games. They weren't really all that competitive, um, especially in conference play. They were getting blown out. Last year, they were, they closed that gap from 20 or 30 plays to really like two or three from from winning games. For example, they lost to Appalachian State uh, by a yard um, at home last year. They lost to Georgia State by three points. They were they were in fourth quarter games. You know, games they came up short in. So. Last year there, there was progress, so I think the the uh, natural understanding is that this year that progress will translate into some more wins. The team is more experienced, it's more talented this time around. 
so the expectations are there, not just from outsiders, but those within the program. And let's start offensively, right? Willie Jones seems to be the guy at quarterback. Looking at his stats last year, even though he didn't see much time, still finished fourth on the team in rushing. What does he bring at the position? Is he mainly just a running threat that needs improvement in the passing game, or can he also do it with his arm? That's probably a fair assessment. You know, we didn't see a lot of his arm last year. He didn't start any games in, in 2017. They got plenty of opportunities. He would, first half of the season, would come in for a series here or there. They made a point to make sure he got playing time. And then there was a nationally televised game on ESPNU on a Thursday uh, in Lafayette, Louisiana, against the University of Louisiana. And the starting quarterback, Damian Williams, a Mississippi straight State transfer, was struggling. Had turned the ball over, I think, in two of the first three possessions. So, they handed the you know the ball and the game over to uh, to Willie Jones and he really took it and, and literally ran and ran all over the Cajuns and really showed us you know just what this kid is capable of and also showed us why he was a freshman. There was one play in particular near the end of the first half with the team down 14 nothing, drove the team inside the five and on third and goal with time winding down to the half, threw a ball into coverage. It was intercepted. The team didn't score. Um, so there was a learning curve for him last year, and coming into to fall camp this season, the thought was there was equal footing in terms of the quarterback uh, starting position battle with Willie Jones, uh, a redshirt freshman, and Jalen Gibson, a true freshman from San Antonio, and Tyler Bitt. But Willie has separated himself from those other two and looks to be the guy going into the 2018 opener there at Rutgers. And, uh, yes, his athleticism is definitely what – you know, it really makes him shine. The passing you think will come along. His deep ball is really good. You know, I think that Willie just has to work on the accuracy in the short and medium passing game. If he does that, the Bobcats could have a very special quarterback. Now, looking at who he has to throw it to, right? Receiver Tyler Watts is a guy with experience, but after him, there's not much. Who is Coach Withers, I guess, counting on to step up to complement Watson and provide a spark offensively? You're right. Watts was, you know, uh, watches the top returning receiver from last year. They lost their top receiver from last season and Elijah King at the top tight end, the two biggest targets on the team. But around Watts will have the return of Mason Hayes. Uh, Hayes uh, broke his leg in a game against UTSA early in the season last year. I think it was week four. Um, and so he'll be back and healthy. Looking forward to that. There was a player who, who last year um, redshirted his name is T.J. Bedford. He's looked really impressive so far uh, out at fall camp. Really looks the part. Uh, 6'4 receiver, uh, you know, big body. Um, so I would, I would look out for him at the tight end position. There's a transfer from Oklahoma State, Keenan Brown, who's been really impressive so far in camp. He'll replace the tight end I mentioned from a year ago in Gabe Schrade. So the Bobcats will have a slew of weapons, at least based on the numbers from, from last year. But one of the least things I'm, I'm concerned about in the 2018 season is weapons. I think, they, I think there's plenty of them around Willie Jones, and they'll give him a chance to succeed. And, you know, looking at the offensive line last year, struggled at times, but, you know, as you grow year from year, you gain more experience, you get better, and you develop. What do you expect to see from the line this year? Do you think there will be that significant improvement from last year now to this one? I would like to think so because a lot of these guys have now played, you know, you look back at how tough last season was in terms of wins and losses, and the Bobcats had the youngest team in the country last year. I mean, they were starting true freshmen at several positions last season. You know, and So because of that experience, these guys are 
you know, much more, they're, they're better off coming into the 2018 year. They've been through those battles. They, you know, they know how to get through a, a game and uh, with the weeks of practice and how to prepare and, you know, how to get ready for an opponent and all that stuff. So, and that includes the offensive line. You know, it's anchored by Aaron Brewer, an all-conference caliber guy who can really play any position along the old line. The Bobcats hope to have him at center. And so, you know, I would say that the, the, the starting five offensive line is as good as anybody else's in our conference in Sunbelt where the team runs into trouble is the depth. There is, still isn't a lot of guys behind the starting five. The Bobcats might be, to include the, the starting five up front, might be six or seven deep. They need to be able to get to eight to ten players deep before they feel really comfortable about the O-line. But that starting unit, if it stays healthy, has a chance to be really good this year. I want to switch over to the defense now, and Chris Woods comes in, takes over as defensive coordinator, coming over from Oklahoma. Have you noticed anything different defensively since he's arrived? You know, what has he brought from such a successful Oklahoma program over to Texas State? He replaces Randall McCray, who was the defensive coordinator under Coach Withers the previous two years, and McCray is now uh, on the Arizona Cardinals staff. Um, and Coach McCray ran a 3-4 defense, and Chris Woods is not changing that. What he wants to do is be a little bit more aggressive with his defense, you know, getting after quarterbacks, bringing blitzes from different uh, from different angles. And um, I had a chance to, to visit with one of the safeties out at the Texas State Media Day earlier this month, A.J. Krawczyk, and he mentioned just how much fun they're having out there playing for Coach Woods. So kind of a, you know, set your hair on fire uh, kind of defense, get after the quarterback, try to create turnovers. That was a big issue a year ago especially as it, as it pertains to interceptions. Uh, the Bobcats have got to, you know, get, a, get those sack numbers up, get some more pressure on the quarterbacks, help create, you know, those opportunities for the secondary to make plays in the football. And I think Chris Woods is bringing that. Now, you know, this is a defense that, that struggled last year getting turnovers, and I don't think they, frankly, had any interceptions in 2017. If that's going to improve, who in the secondary needs to be the catalyst for change? You know, who needs to be the guy that really leads that defensive back group? Well, you are right. The Bobcats were the only team in the country last year without an interception. It's not, it's not something we, we talk about a whole lot around these parts because it's, you know, it's, it's not a number you're, you're proud of, zero. But in terms of the secondary, again, I go back to uh, pass rush. One of the things from last year that people forget or don't realize when they look at that number of zero is that one of the more important pass rushers on the team last year, Ishmael Davis, got hurt that same game Mason Hayes did, game four of the year against UTSA, and you know he was out for the season. And because of that, the team's pass rush suffered. There were also other injuries up front at the defensive line that you know led to the team struggling to get after quarterbacks. So Ishmael Davis is back. The defensive line is deeper and more talented this year. They have two really great players at the outside linebacker position in the 3-4, um, and then Frankie Griffin and also the opposite side, either Hal Vincent or John Brandon, they'll start there. So if they can get some pressure, it'll make the secondary look better. There has been a position change in the secondary where Deshaun Waddy, who started at corner last year, is now at safety, and Cordell Rogers has flipped from safety to corner, and seeing these guys out of practice. Rodgers looks much more comfortable playing corner and Waddy the same at safety. So I think those two, you know, have a chance to really be those playmakers in the secondary. Opposite corner is a guy by the name of Anthony Taylor and the other safety. I brought up his name earlier, A.J. Krawczyk, a nice veteran guy. So 
a combination of improved secondary play and a better pass rush will lead to obviously a much bigger number than zero in terms of interceptions this season. Now, I want to talk about at the linebacker position, right? Brian London, the leading tackler from last season, returns. He was an all-sunbelt honorable mention. What does he do that makes him so effective, and how important is it for the defense that he, I guess, kind of replicates what he did a year ago? Well, the 3-4 defense, your inside linebackers are the ones responsible for making a lot of the tackles, right? It's those three guys up front, the two D-tackles and the nose tackle responsible for getting a push. It's on the outside linebackers to get off the edges and maybe get to the quarterbacks or play contain. But anytime there's anything up the middle, it's up to those inside linebackers to make those tackles. So for Brian London, what he brings to the table is he, he is as sure-handed of a tackler as his team has. Doesn't miss many. He's always there, has the ability to also break through, you know, the gaps and make a play in the backfield. Um, veteran guy, this will be his third year as a starter, you know, with the program, all-conference caliber player. Um, the team would like to get more plays out of him, and by that I mean, you know, the sacks, force fumbles, maybe a pass breakup, interception, stuff like that. But, you know, in terms of wrapping up and making sure that first contact is all you need, that's what Brian London brings to this defense. A couple more, Brent, before we let you go. You know, we've gone over kind of what Texas State has to offer on both sides of the ball, right? Game one is Saturday, September 1st, and I think it just came out Rutgers is about a three-score favorite. If Texas State is going to pull off an upset, what do they have to do? What's, why should Rutgers fans be nervous, or what should they be nervous about possibly happening if Texas State, you know, wants to come to Piscataway and, and leave with a win? Well, the longer the Bobcats are in the game, the more nervous those fans are going to be. If this is a, you know, one-score game going into the fourth quarter, you know, the favorite all of a sudden you know, gets a little uh, rattled, gets kind of nervous there. So the Bobcats' goal is, yeah, to be, you know, within a score, leading by a score, tied, something like that when you get to the fourth quarter. Um, I mentioned, we, you know, we've talked a lot about turnovers. And if you're the underdog, I mean, it is paramount you win the turnover battle. Almost, it almost never happens where an underdog is, you know, minus one, two, or three in differential and beats a heavily favored team or a team out of a Power Five conference. So, they have to win the turnover battle. And the biggest reason why, I mean, it sounds cliche to say that, but it's field position. You know, this Bobcat offense is is kind of coming along. You know, they'll be working in a new starter quarterback in Willie Jones. You mentioned receiver earlier. While they have talent there, some of these guys haven't played before. Offensive line, not a lot of depth. So this isn't going to be an offense that's going to you know, score 35, 40 points a game this year. So to ask them to drive the length of the field to get their points, you know, 80-yard drives, 75-yard drives, whatever, that's asking a lot. Now, if instead they only have it to travel, say, 50 yards, 35 yards, whatever, because the defense created that field position with a turnover or forcing a punt deep in Rutgers' own territory, that's how they're going to win the game, creating short fields, not turning the ball over while forcing some of their own, and making sure it's a game going into the fourth quarter. One more, Brant, before we let you go. You know, we talked about the first two years earlier under Everett Withers. This game, I think, and if, if you're a Texas State fan, I look at it, right, you come to a school that's a Power 5 program, it's a big opportunity for the Bobcats to show progress and improvement, right? Against the Big Ten team, you know, even if they don't necessarily come away with a win, but play it close, how important is it to kind of make a statement that they're a team to be reckoned with in the Sun Belt? I think that is important. I remember last year, you know, again, I was trying to describe the difference between Coach Withers' first year and his second and how much more competitive the team was. 
and I, and I mentioned the Appalachia State game in which the Bobcats lost at the one-yard line. Down, they lost the game by seven. And Coach Withers said after the fact, had they scored a touchdown, they would have gone for two to win the game. Well, App State has been you know, one of the premier teams in the Sun Belt Conference. A year ago, they were picked to win the Sun Belt. They ended up being co-champions. They're picked to win the East this year. Well, in 2016, in that game, the Bobcats lost by 28 points, 35 to seven or 35 to 10, rather. They lost by 25 at App State. And last year, they showed just uh, just how much more competitive they were, how far along they had come. And it was that game for me that made me feel as if the program was starting to turn the corner. So even if they don't come out of Piscataway with a win in Week One, but they're competitive. It is a ball game late into the second half. I think fans should be very encouraged about this team moving forward. So, yeah, I mean, being in the game, you know, win or lose, is going to go a long way, I think, throughout the rest of the 2018 year. He's the voice of Texas State Bobcat football. Brent, thanks so much for coming on and giving your time to the On the Banks podcast. Lance, thank you, and I look forward to the trip up there to Piscataway. I want to thank Brent Freeman for taking time to talk about the upcoming game this Saturday, and I think he did a great job of breaking down what Texas State has to offer. Now, Rutgers fans, we've seen it in the past. Don't take this team for granted. There is no such thing as a guaranteed win. You know, he mentioned they had some injuries last year, the Bobcats did, and they returned talent at both sides of the ball and in quarterback specifically, Willie Jones. So we've heard so far from the opponent, but now it's time to hear from the home team. He's been the voice of Rutgers football since 2004, was the voice of Rutgers basketball until 2016, and is also the host of CMB Carlin, Maggie, and Bart on WFAN. I am now pleased to be joined by Chris Carlin. Chris, how are you? Thanks for coming on the On the Banks podcast. My pleasure, Lance. How are you doing? I'm good. So let's talk about, I guess, the overall tenure so far of Chris Ash, right? It's been three years since he uh, took over the job. This Texas State game is obviously right around the corner. But looking from season one under Coach Ash to to now, just as he begins his third season, to you, I guess, what have been the biggest improvements you noticed from him specifically and from the team overall? You know, from him, it's, I think, I wouldn't even call it an improvement. I would just call it a very consistent message to the fan base, to his players, to his coaching staff uh, throughout the last couple of years. And I think, you know, any coach that is a head coach for the first time uh, is going to learn in the first year or two and make some adjustments accordingly and, you know, find himself uh, in a situation where he's a lot more uh, just used to the job. I think that's natural in any job that anybody has. I think we've seen that. Um, you know, I think as far as the team's concerned, there's no question that it's bigger, it's stronger. It is a, a, uh, a group of guys with, uh, you know, more talent. They certainly have recruited pretty well. And I think that they've put themselves in a in just a good spot to continue to improve. And I think, listen, I think going from two to four last year in terms of wins was uh, a definite major step forward. And I think that they can make another step forward when it comes to their record this season. You know, looking at this past offseason, I think one of the biggest, if not really the biggest addition, was bringing back John McNulty as offensive coordinator. You saw how much the offense shined during his first tenure here in the mid-2000s. Obviously, the talent on those teams, you know, NFL quality. But with McNulty back, what are you expecting to see from this offense that maybe wasn't necessarily there the first two years with Merringer and Kill? Well, you know, it's more of a pro-style offense. Um, There are elements of uh, spread to it, you know, that we've seen before. 
uh, the last couple seasons. But John runs more of a pro-style offense. Uh, he spent a lot of time as a coach in the NFL, coaching quarterbacks, coaching tight ends. Um, you know, and I, I just think, boy, I, when I heard the news that he was coming back, I couldn't be more excited for it because I just think John's an excellent coach, and the guy knows offense. Um, you're right. There was an awful lot of talent on those teams uh, in the mid-2000s. Uh, but John knew what he was doing, too. John was a darn good play caller and always seemed to dial up uh, the right uh, call in the right spot. So I think he's just got a good knack and a good feel for that. I think that's where you're going you're gonna to see John be very consistent uh, in that regard. You know, with, with Jerry, um, with Drew, you know, Drew took another position. Jerry obviously had his health concerns um, uh, last season. I think John's a guy that, you know, he's going to bring some consistency to this position uh, at offensive coordinator, which they, they need. You know, they just haven't had it. Uh, when you're changing coordinators uh, every year for, for quite some time, it's going to make a major impact. Um, you know, you have to find some consistency, and I think John's going to bring that. So I want to talk about the, the quarterback group. And, of course, you know, no starters named yet. We're recording this on a Thursday night. There very well might, well might be a starter named tomorrow, Friday, uh, but this episode isn't being released till Monday. So by the time, you know, the fans here, the, a starter might very well be named. But right now, as of Thursday night, no starter has been named. But let's play a hypothetical here, right? Art Sitkowski is the starting quarterback. What do you remember about how Savage grew into that starting role as a true freshman? And I guess, how do you foresee, if Art is the starter, him doing in his freshman year, considering, you know, he's just going up against the gauntlet in terms of opposing teams he's going to have to face? I think the thing that you saw from Tom was a very quiet confidence uh, in what he was doing that, that first year. And he actually did not start the first game. He came in in the second half of that first game, um, if fans remember. And I think that the, to- the thing that you saw with Tom was just tremendous growth uh, through the season. Uh, really had the look uh, of a true, uh, you know, real good pro-style quarterback. And then, you know, sophomore year, it just kind of got away from him. And uh, it developed into a situation where he felt like he needed to go elsewhere. But I, I think Tom was a guy that, um, you know, that, that you see a lot of uh, with Art. I mean, there's a lot of uh, similar traits in, you know, a pro-style quarterback, um, somebody that I think uh, has an awful lot of ability. We saw Art's arm and his playmaking abilities in the, uh, in the spring game. Uh, but you also saw some of the stuff that, that freshmen do. You know, they take chances. They, um, they're still learning coverages. They're still learning all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, with any – it doesn't matter who it is. I know a lot of fans are excited to see Art. Um, if he's the guy, then you've got to also re- roll with, you know, the, the bumpy mistakes that a, a true freshman is going to make in addition to the excitement that he can bring. Now, Gio, you know, the guy who, who ended the season last year as a starter, Gio Rochino, you know, he's a guy who seemingly beats the odds every year, right? You know, he hasn't been the starter to begin the, the last two seasons, but he's obviously ended as the number one guy in both years. What have you seen from his play that, that makes him so resilient? And what does a guy like him, you know, who continues to beat the odds, who, you know, fights off adversity, what does he bring to a team off the field? Well, I think it says a lot that he was voted captain by his teammates, um, number one. Uh, number two, you know, Gio's just, he's always been a guy that hasn't let the circumstances affect how he handles himself, how he carries himself, how he prepares. And we've seen Gio play some pretty good games. 
I also think that um, just in seeing Gio now, uh, he has really, I think, improved greatly. I think he's a guy that um, you you went from, you're hoping he's going to go out there, he's not going to make the mistake, he's going to hopefully you know, just give you a chance into a guy that, that really has a chance to make plays. I think I've seen a lot of growth in him from last year to this year as a quarterback. And, you know, as far as he's concerned, you know, if he's the starter, you've got the veteran. Uh, he's obviously got the most, uh, you know, history behind him. And I think that will help the experience. And if he's backing up R, then you've got a situation where you have a veteran backup that I think could help Art along, but at the same time, um, if if anything were to happen, you'd feel okay having Geo behind him because he is, you know, he he does have the mentality that he does, and he has the ability, he has the ability to make plays with his legs. I mean, I think we all kind of forget that too. You know, he he's pretty darn mobile and can get around. So I think you've got a lot of good things there with Geo. Now, before we switch to the defense, I just want to hit on this receiving group real quick. You know, they're searching for a number one guy. It's a young receiving group. Who do you think it's going to be that's going to step up? Is it going to be Bo Melton, Hunter Hayek, Wormley, Lewis? You know, who do you think needs to be that one that really asserts themselves as the true, you know, deep threat? Well, I think Bo Melton has a has a great chance to be that guy. Um, you know, he, in the spring, looked like a number one receiver, uh, continues to, you know, grow and get better. He got... You know, he got playing time last year, but he didn't have major numbers. Um, and overall, I think, you know, people wanted the offense to be better than it was. I think he's just a, was a, in a freshman year where he, you know, needed to learn and needed to needed to get better, and I think he did. Um, and I think he's got the ability to do that. I think Everett Wormley really looks terrific right now. I think he's got a chance to do some things, uh, had the chance to see him, um, you know, in drills and such, make some plays. Uh, he's he's pretty impressive. Uh, Hunter Hayek, to me, is just consistent. You know, he's he looks like he can be that guy that if you need to turn to him in a third down spot and you need six yards, he's going to get you eight. You know, he's he's going to be reliable. I think he's I think he's got a chance to to be that guy. And then I think you've got some some pretty good depth coming up uh, from behind him. You know, Tyler Hayek, his brother, uh, his twin brother. Um, you know, has uh, has grown quite a bit uh, from year one to year two, um, and I think there are some other guys there uh, that are going to add some depth uh, to this receiving core that you're you're still seeing uh, grow. Like a guy like Jalen Jordan kind of comes to mind. Maybe he's got a chance to do some things. Um, you know, they got a lot. Of, this is still a very young football team, and that's the thing that um, you know people remember uh, is that. Uh, people have to remember is, and, and I know, you know, you're, you're consistently in that spot, but uh, this is one of those years where it's really the case. Now, I want to switch to the defense and, and specifically the secondary. You know, Bless Juan Austin is back, got hurt, obviously, in the Nebraska game last year, was out for the rest of the season. Just how important is his return? And, of course, there, there's so much talent in that group without him last year, but, you know, he's a playmaker. He's a guy that NFL scouts are looking at as, as an early-round pick. You know, how important is it that he returns uh, at a high level to that corner spot? Uh, it's critical. It really is. I mean, Bless on is such, you know, is there is there a, a more appropriate name? The guy's blessed with a lot of talent. He truly is. And if he is playing at that level of shutdown corner that he's capable of, you know, even with the injury, that guy still played a lot of football here. Um, you know, started as a freshman. 
he and Isaiah Wharton have a ton of experience between them. I think Damon Hayes and safety uh, can really do a good job. And Kai Hester, I mean, he's, you know, getting him back was, I think, fantastic. I think the, the, the secondary has a chance to be fantastic. There's a chance to be the best in the Big Ten. You need to keep us on Austin healthy. You just hope for the best because that kid has got so much talent um, that, you know, we saw the numbers in terms of passing uh, go down last year uh, considerably from year one under Chris Ash, and I think that secondary is a huge reason why. Now, looking at the defense overall, right, and and the team really, it, since Rutgers joined the Big Ten, it, it's kind of been a process to get the team to a point where, you know, it has Big Ten quality talent and depth, you know, each and every year. Do you think that specifically now with the defense, with the returning players that are coming back and, and the the development that we saw last year, do you think the Scarlet Knight defense has reached that point where, you know, now this defense is being talked about, where, where they're a high-quality Big Ten-level D group each in a year out? Uh, yeah, I think they're continuing to get better in that regard, you know. Um, you see some of these players step in and, and – um, how big they are, that kind of how physical they can be. I think they're progressively getting better and better at that. Um, I think you know seeing the development of guys like Deontay Roberts and, and, and Trevor Morris, and you know Tyreek Maddox Williams to have him back after he got hurt in training camp last year. You know had a tremendous uh, freshman year. Uh, seeing him back is going to go a long way. I, yeah, the answer to your question is yes. I, Look, it's not where they want it to be, uh, clearly, but they also have grown immensely, immensely in that department. I think it's going to be uh, a lot more competitive situation uh, defensively in terms of guys battling for positions, depth and such. Uh, they'll be okay there. Now, I want to step away from the team and kind of talk about you a little bit and your time here at Rutgers. Of course, you know, every Rutgers fan, they'll always remember your pandemonium of Piscataway call against Louisville. But besides that game, you know, what are some others that through the years have really stuck with you? Is it, is it beating Florida, uh, South Florida in 2007, Michigan in 2014? You know, what are some games and moments that really stick out in your mind? South Florida was certainly up there um, the next year when they were number two. Um, Michigan was special just because it was that first Big Ten win uh, and the way they won it. Um, I always think of Tim Brown uh, at Connecticut. Uh, a few years back, um, in, two, in 2009 it was, excuse me, um, you know, and, and it was an emotional day for him too, if fans remember this emotional week. Um, Connecticut uh, had lost a young man tragically, and he was a childhood friend of, of Tim Brown's, um, and, and Tim made an incredible play and, and went 81 yards for the game-winning touchdown. Uh, that comes to mind. Um you know, I mean, I, I, I know, I, I think of the Texas Bowl uh, and the first bowl win. I think of that, really, that first bowl appearance and how great it was in Arizona, even though they lost the game, you know, in, in the Insight Bowl against Arizona State. You know, the Rutgers crowd uh, that traveled out there for it, how exciting it was. Um, and then you're getting the first bowl win next year in Texas State. And listen, I, I know it's, um, it's, a, it's a tough one for fans to think of, but would be hard pressed to find a better game than, than the triple overtime against West Virginia in 06 too. Um, but I also think that, you know, uh, there have been other times too, that have been kind of interesting. I think of 2008 quite a bit, 
um, a year where they started one and five, and, and they seemingly just needed one break somewhere, and they got it at the end of uh, the Connecticut game when Connecticut's game-winning field goal uh, bounced off the right upright, and they win 12-10, and they had trouble scoring points, and the next week they exploded for 54 out of Pittsburgh. Uh, and won eight straight to or seven straight to start uh, to finish the year, uh, including the bowl game. I, I just um, there have been so many over the years that I'm, I'm excited to to see the program get back to that level um, because I do see an awful lot of uh, similarities to the early part of last decade uh, to what's going on now, uh, both in terms of improvement of talent um, and you know coaching. You look at it all the way around. I, I think this. Is really heading in the right direction. Hopefully, some more, some more of those memories are, are kind of on their way. Right, Chris, a couple more before we let you go. You know, alongside you in the booth currently, you have two names that are really synonymous with the Rutgers football. You know, in Ray Lucas and Eric Legrand. Just talk about what it's like working with both of those guys on game days. You know, two former, obviously, Rutgers football players. What's it like being in the booth with them? Well, it's great. You know, I mean, they both just, you know, it's cliche, but you know, bleeding scarlet, so to speak. Um, there's so much emotion uh, as as true fans and, and parts of the program uh, between the two of them that it just really ups the excitement level for the fans. I love that. And I, and I, I kind of feed off of it, too. Um, they're, they're just so jacked up for every game and, and really into it. So, um, you know, Eric, we all know what he means to the Rutgers community and how he just continues to inspire with uh, everything he's doing with Team LeGrand and, and fundraising and, and the walk to believe. I mean, this guy just doesn't quit. And, and you know, with Ray, Ray just loves Rutgers so much. He really does and, and just can't get enough of it and, and feels like it's, it's home for him, and it is. So being around those two guys uh, week in and week out, is, it's just a blast. And one more, Chris, before we let you go. You know, this to me is the best time of the year. College football starting, and, you know, no matter what happened the previous season, each team starts out optimistic and on really an even platform at 0-0. Zero and zero. This Rutgers team has raised expectations from the past few years and goals of becoming bowl eligible here in year number three. With the season only a few days away, you know, what are your expectations for this team? How do you think they fare ultimately this season? Listen, I think they're good enough to be a bowl team. I do think they're good enough to be a postseason team, and I think they will be. Um, you know, I, I don't have any. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how far it could go. I think if things broke right, you know, you could look at seven or eight wins if things, you know, if they got out well, if they were playing well at the quarterback position, if they were blocking well, they're doing a lot of things well. I think you could see that, and I also think. Um, but I, but I do think I'd, I'd be surprised if they didn't find their way to at least six wins this year. I really would. And to me, if that happens, it probably has a lot more to do with injuries than anything else. Uh, this team just continues, the program just continues to grow and improve. And I think that, um, you know, there were times where it may not have felt like it, but two to four was a big jump last year. And I think they're ready to make that next big jump. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to see this season play out. And, of course, game one only a few days away against Texas State. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We look forward uh, to hearing you, of course, this season uh, with Rutgers football. And, again, thank you so much for giving us your time. Oh, my pleasure, Lance. Thanks.
I want to thank Chris for taking some time to talk about the game on Saturday and breaking down what fans can look forward to both offensively and defensively for the Scarlet Knights. This Rutgers team has improved talent-wise and has improved from a physical standpoint now in year three under Chris Ash and Kenny Parker. But as we have seen in the past here at Rutgers, there really is no such thing as a guaranteed win no matter who they play. But ultimately, I think in this game, talent will win out, and I think the Scarlet Knights will pull out a victory fairly easily. But I am interested to see a couple things. One, I'm interested to see the new John McNulty-led offense. What's it going to look like? Are we going to see big plays? Two, I'm looking forward to seeing how the defense plays with a fully healthy roster. Blaswan Austin is back. Tyreek Maddox-Williams is back. With all these pieces now returning, what is the defense going to look like? How good could this defense be? And three, I'm interested in seeing how some freshmen and improved sophomores break out against an inferior opponent. You know, Texas State is going to come out hungry and fired up against a Power 5 opponent. This is one of their, if not the biggest game of their season. Going to a Power 5 opponent, this is a chance for them to make a statement. And early on, the Scarlet Knights have to make sure they match their enthusiasm. The Scarlet Knights need to forget about who they are playing and just play Rutgers and Chris Ash style football. If they're able to do that, I am confident that Saturday will bring us fans win number one here on the banks. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when our next podcast is debuting.